BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Come on in, take a seat. Crazy! Uh, the wife of the wonderful man who wrote that song is in the audience. Danielle Ebenstein, please stand up. Thank you, Rob. He's not here, but I love you. Guys, I cannot believe this. I can't really see you guys because the light's on me, which honestly is probably helpful so that I don't know how many of you there are. I never get nervous, but I'm kind of nervous. I also never prepare questions, but with Katie Couric, you gotta be prepared. First, I wanna say thank you so much for coming, especially on this shitty, rainy Sunday night. I was very nervous that no one would show. So thank you. I'm kind of emotional. I am so grateful to be here. I finally feel good, but I might be like burping and having some seconds to myself. I am so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful for all of you. Like, this means the world to me. This is our first real live show. We did one, like, four years ago when I started the show. I think there were 30 people there. And, like, I don't think 15 people of those people even knew who I was. So thank you so much. I want to say thank you to everyone that's here, obviously. But my family is here, both my sisters, my parents. A lot of my best friends are here. Thank you for supporting me always. And my cousins are here. Katie's sister Kiki is here and her husband somewhere in the audience. So thank you guys for, especially my family, Kiki, I'm sure you do the same for Katie, but thank you guys for always being my biggest cheerleaders and my husband for being the best. (laughs) I just realized I didn't say you. I love you. And I checked the Nana and Liam is asleep, so we're good. There are people with him. Um, Okay. (laughs) He's not by himself. My wonderful in-laws are with him for the night. Okay, the next, the guest, the next guest. The guest needs no introduction. Everyone knows who freaking Katie Couric is. I am over the moon that she decided to join us tonight. I feel so freaking honored. The young girl in me cannot freaking believe it. You all know her, I'm sure, from her days on the Today Show. We all around our age grew up seeing her every single day on the TV. She has gone off to do incredible things on her own, has now co-founded or has founded Katie Couric Media. She has the newsletter, Wake Up Call, every single day. You're getting the top news in your inbox, her podcast, so much that she's working on. I have so many things I want to ask her. We are going to do time for a live Q&A. Kelsey, I'm realizing I asked you to give me time check. I have no idea where the hell you are. I can't see anything back here. So somehow I will know. Um, Thank you. Um, We're going to do live, or not live, just Q&A. 
at the end. So save your questions. There will be a runner with a mic. And make sure you tag us on Instagram so we can repost any of the content that you're sharing. Thank you guys so much. Katie, please come out and join us. Hi. Oh, hi. it's on. Hi, everyone. Where's my sister and brother-in-law? They're Where? there. Oh, hi. Anyway, hi, everyone. By the way, I'm having a terrible hair day, but the weather. The weather. On. I got a blowout I mean, and it is You did, flat. but yours looks really nice. Thank you, pros. Uh, <laughs> thank you. My mom will kill me if I don't say this. I got a text reminder 10 minutes before. I have to say, I now have a baby in my belly. And I actually think I told you this, the, maybe the first time you were on the podcast, but... I was on the Today Show with you when I was in my mom's belly. Really? She was a model for the Today Show. She got picked out at... Mom, what was the name of the store? Someone approached like her. Like pee in the pod, maybe. Okay, pee in the pod. Was Someone it? approached her and was like, we're doing a maternity shoot on the Today Show. We'd love for you to be there. She's like, oh, of course. So she shows up and she was the only actually pregnant woman. She says everyone was a model with a stuffed belly. And she was like, you've got to be kidding me. But I was there. So technically, we we've met known each other for a, a very long, long time. time. Yeah, that's a very so long funny. time. And I realized I met your mom at the airport. Yeah, mom. I remember? think before Ellie got married. <laughs> at because you got married at the same place my daughter got married. Yes. So best place ever. Yes. So it's weird. We have. We're kind of just uh, constantly crossing paths. Yes, exactly. Um, Wow. Okay. I'm so (laughs) excited to have you here. I have so many questions, and I know that we could go a bunch of different directions, but I want to start off going there. The memoir that you wrote, I listened to it on audiobook. I told you you. it was like, I I can drink here, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, I have to give a special shout out to my brother-in-law, Jim, who is here and probably thinking, what the hell am I doing here (laughs) with all these? I think Joe has the same thoughts, so don't worry. (laughs) Thank you, Jim, and I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, I listen to it on audio because I love listening to memoirs that way because you personally read it, and I think it's just more personal that way. But what was it like to share such personal and honest stories with the world to read in whatever way they wanted to depict it. Yeah. You know, it is, um, you kind of feel like, what is that kind of chicken that Ina makes where, you know, you're all splayed. Oh, it's splatchcock. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I felt a little splatchcocked, um, which is such a weird word. Um, because, you know, when I decided to write a book about my life, I was, Um, you know, gosh, I was 64 at the time and I thought, well, this is a good time. I've started my own company. I'm not beholden to any particular news network. I can be honest. And I know my husband, John said, if you're going to write a book, you, it's really important for you to be honest, because I think there are a lot of memoirs that are sugarcoated and not really transparent and don't, and, and, you know, I wanted to, tell people what it felt like from my perspective, because through the years, so much was written about me that wasn't true or, you know, whether it was tabloids or even more sort of um, respected media organizations. And I always felt like, well, wait, that's not right. Or this is how I felt. This was my experience. So, 
you know, it felt incredibly liberating to be able to talk about, you know, what I went through, whether it was some job disappointments, whether it was having my husband diagnosed with stage four colon cancer when he was just 41 and our girls were one in five and, you know, what it was like losing my sister and, you know, what it was like, the triumphs and the thing, the tragedies, the things that I felt I did really well, the things I felt I didn't do well, because I thought it would be much more interesting, honest, and and give people much more of a perspective if I just kind of put it all out there. And I remember Rebecca Traster gave me, she's a sort of a writer for New York Magazine, not sort of, she's a feminist writer for, for New York Magazine. She's really smart. And she said, your book was incredibly self-aware. And I thought that was a great compliment because I think it meant that I could look at myself objectively and really honestly. And I think that's that's really hard to do sometimes when you don't feel as if you've done everything necessarily right and that you've made some mistakes, whether it's in judgment or other areas of your life. So I was super honest and, you know, honest, I, I really love my book. I love, I, I, do I, too. I, I picked it up. I have a, some paperbacks in the closet and John was like, what are you doing? You're reading your own book. And I was like, <laughs> I know it's so good. <laughs> so, you got to be your own hype woman. Um, yeah, exactly. So you mentioned mistakes and I think we can always, you know, it's great to hear about people's triumphs and their success, but I think we learn the most from hearing about people's mistakes. When you look back at your career, what are some things that stick out to you where you're like, I wish I had handled that differently? Or what are the lessons you learned from some of the errors you made? You know, it's interesting because I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. And I think anybody is going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of us will. I mean, show me the person who's led yep. the perfect life that always done has done the right thing, who's never kind of veered off path, off their, you know, respective paths. So, you know, I, I think with every mistake, I, I don't mean to not answer the question, but I do feel like it's an opportunity to learn and grow you know, it's sort of, that's when I think you, you really thrive when you go through something that's trying that kind of results in personal growth. And I think that I've, I've taken some steps that in retrospect, maybe if I had done more due diligence, I might not have, mm -hmm. but at the time it seemed like the right thing to do. I think that you know, I always tell people to take risks, right? But I'd like to have this caveat, you know, be an educated person taking risks. And I think, for example, when I went to CBS, when I left the Today Show, I don't regret going to CBS because I was ready for a change. I was, had done the Today Show for 15 years. I loved the job, but honestly, you know, after 15 years, how many segments can you do? Mm -hmm. You know, are these jeans making my butt look big? <laughs> you know, yeah. and after a while, I just felt like I wasn't as excited about it. And I wanted to give the opportunity to somebody else. And I also, you know, had worked my whole life trying to be taken seriously. I think it's because, you know, I'm sort of short and I, and I'm super outgoing and, 
bubbly and all those words, you know, that you use to describe people like Gidget, who you all probably don't even remember. I was going to say, I don't know who the heck you're talking your mom, about. You ta- ask, ask your mom um, who Gidget is. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I wanted to really have more, uh, a bigger opportunity to sink my teeth into more serious journalism. Mm-hmm. But I think what I didn't realize is institutionally, CVS was probably the most traditional network, did not really love outsiders, Mm -hmm. and did not necessarily welcome me with open arms. And I think if I had talked to more people, if I had insisted on meeting with Jeff Fager, for example, who was the head of 60 Minutes, to make sure that they were really embracing me and didn't feel like less Moonves. By the way, all these guys have been me too, P.S. But if they didn't, if, 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 you know, to make sure they didn't feel like I was being kind of forced on them, yeah. I think that that would have served me well. Mm-hmm. But having said that, you know, it was an incredible experience. I was the first solo female anchor of an evening newscast, and I hope I made it er- easier. Well, you know... I did it for five years. It wasn't always easy. I was the subject of relentless media attention just because I was the first. And I hope I've made it easier for Nora O'Donnell Mm -hmm. to take that job on. So I feel like, you know, I'm proud of my time there. After all, I mean, I I did a very consequential interview with Sarah Palin, for example, Mm -hmm. in 2008. Does anybody remember that? Yes. Um, and and I'm really proud of a lot of the reporting. And because I brought a female sensibility to what was a pretty much a male-dominated organization, I came up with stories that I think would not have happened if I hadn't been in a position of authority. You know, I, I did a whole series on women in the military and sexual assault. I did something on dating violence after... Yardley Love was was killed at the mm-hmm. University of Virginia, where I went to school, and she was a, a lacrosse player yep. who was was beaten up, and so, and and ultimately murdered by her then boyfriend George Hughley. But I think that I brought a different perspective, and that's why representation is really so important. That you have people from different backgrounds, different races, different socioeconomic. Uh, backgrounds, different educational backgrounds in a newsroom so everyone can bring their own perspective in. So I feel like I was, I really made a contribution and I feel good about that. Even if ultimately after five years, there wasn't really a role for me there. I recently did a video with the return of Girls Who Grill on Instagram and TikTok, and boy, was the FF fam pumped. Don't you worry. This is only the beginning. Now that I have our new grill, I will be out there nightly trying to film my favorite recipes for you all. And you already know what the star of the show is, but in case you're new here, let me fill you in. It is ButcherBox. ButcherBox was started with the idea that everyone should have access to high-quality, humanely raised meat. They offer subscription boxes right to your door filled with 100% grass-fed beef, pork-raised crate-free, and free-range organic chicken. In the latest video, I grilled one of their New York strip steaks, but there are so many more to come. Think my favorite grilled cumin chicken thighs or grilled balsamic chicken breasts or, of course, cheeseburgers. What is better than a summer burger night? Honestly, nothing. We've been adding this to our weekly dinner rotation and Liam is ecstatic over it. 
We make the burger patties with the butcher box ground beef, and they are so flavorful and delicious. I just add in some salt, pepper, and garlic powder, mix it up, form your patties, hit the grill, and bam, a juicy, delicious burger is ready for you. Speaking of their ground beef, this is also the main staple in our taco night. If you saw my recent TikTok, you know that one of my very specific cravings recently was beef tacos, and wow, did these babies hit the spot. Without fail, we always have at least five of their ground beef packages in our freezer because we cook them so often. Lucky for you, ButcherBox is giving us a special deal. Sign up today using code FOODIE to receive ground beef for a year, plus $20 off your first order. That's two pounds of ground beef free in every box for a year, plus $20 off your first order when you sign up at butcherbox.com foodie and use code FOODIE. I cannot believe I'm saying this, but my little bestie Liam is turning two this weekend. Where the hell has time gone? Honestly, how? While I definitely am at a loss for how my little baby is so grown up, I'm having so much fun with this age. I love watching him explore, learn new things, create and play. Plus, I'm tapping back into my childhood and playfulness, and you all know how happy that makes me. One of the ways we've been enjoying playing together lately is through KiwiCo. KiwiCo is defining the future of play by making it engaging, enriching, and seriously fun. They create super cool hands-on projects designed to create a lifelong love for learning among kids. Each month, KiwiCo delivers crates packed with fun and sparks creativity with kid-friendly topics and activities. We have been loving the KiwiCo crates we received thus far, and I am so excited to give Liam one of his birthday gifts, which is their marble run and art easel. This kid is loving all things craft and art, and I already know he is going to spend so much time playing with this piece. I just cannot wait to see his face light up when it arrives. Cultivate your child's natural creativity and curiosity with new hands-on projects every month. They'll explore new worlds and rediscover familiar ones, even without leaving the home. Redefine learning with play and explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at KiwiCo.com with code Cameron. That's a 50% off your first month with promo code Cameron at K-I-W-I-C-O.com. Hey friend, I'm Nicole Walters, mom of three, your internet bestie and founder of Inherit Learning Company. If you're looking for the motivation you need to pursue a life of purpose, then join me each week on the Nicole Walters podcast as I share my hard-learned lessons and answer your DMs about life, business, and everything in between. We'll laugh, we'll cry, and we'll grant ourselves grace as we do life together. Check out the Nicole Walters podcast every Tuesday here on Dear Media. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you mentioned the tabloids and the adjectives that have been put on you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so interesting when you're in the limelight or public eye of any sorts to have narratives put on yourself that you haven't actively sought out. And it's this mental almost thing where it's like, am I that? Am I not? Do I have to be? You have been called America's sweetheart by many of people. And like, how does that label, what are your emotions towards that label then, but also now reflecting back? Well, I mean, I'm not the only one. Julia Roberts has been called that. A lot of people have. And, you know, I think that 
It does, not to get all like philosophical and psychological, but you know, I think it results, it's the result of our cultural conditioning. I think that we tend to put women particularly in boxes and have them fit a certain category that just may be extraordinarily limiting and not illustrate the depth of their experiences or ability or the breadth of who they are as individuals. I mean, I think we, we are multitudes, as Walt Whitman said. And I do believe that. And I think, you know, when women, I think, are new to a certain arena, it's easy to diminish them or categorize them. And I, I have to say, you know, initially I was like, oh, that's so nice that I'm America's sweetheart. That means people like me. And then I was like, well, wait a second. I'm much more than that. And it's sort of the same way with perky. I think when you call someone perky, it makes them sound vapid. And it makes them sound, remember, oh God, you guys are so young. You don't remember any of my cultural references, but like in, in Bull Durham, Susan Sarandon had a cow because someone called her cute and she's like, baby ducks are cute. And I think that oftentimes we don't appreciate that women, especially, and I, I don't think men deal with this as much because they're not labeled as much, mm-hmm. but that we can be all kinds of things. We can be everything, everywhere, all at once, whatever that movie was called. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. And off of that, I think this is something that women especially deal with in the workforce as mothers, because you, you know, there's some study, I don't remember the exact study, but it was like the type of people that employers like the most, the top is a man with children then a man without children, then a woman without children, then a woman with children. And it's the man leaves early for work to go do something. It's like, oh, he is an amazing father. And I watched it happen on the trading floor. A man would leave early to coach and everyone's like, what an involved dad. And the woman I supported would leave early and it's like, there she goes again. And that narrative, I think, causes a lot of confusion for women in the workforce of how do I try to do both? How do I be an involved mother and spend time with my child and also advance my career and do something I really care about. And I'm in a weird conundrum where I'm a part stay at home, part working. I'm still there when I am working. So I always feel like I can't give the most well-equipped advice because I'm not working in an office. I'm not leaving the home as much. How was it navigating such a demanding career with two young girls at the time, but also you've worked their entire lives. Like what advice do you have for women out there who are trying to advance their career and who are also mothers? Well, every, so much has changed, you know, since Mm -hmm. my girls were little, they're now 27 and 31. So this was really back in the day. But I remember when I would leave early at the today show, like I'd have to leave at eight 30 because Ellie had a school assembly. 8.30? Like in the morning, obviously. Well, I have to leave before the show (laughs) was over. And, you know, especially as a single mom, you know, Mm -hmm. it was super important that I show up because if I didn't show up, no one showed up. So it wasn't like Jay, my husband could because he had passed away when Ellie was six. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling telling Matt Lauer at the time, I know, we'll discuss (laughs) that later. I I I wasn't going to go there, but the name's been dropped. uh, That, you know, you can feel free. I mean, I talk pretty openly about everything and I write extensively Mm -hmm. in my book about what it was like learning that from my perspective. 
But I remember saying to Matt, you know, please tell the audience that I left early and why, Mm -hmm. because I want people to know that it's, you know, young mothers out there watching that I have an employer that is supportive of my leaving and that I have more roles in my life than just co-anchoring the Today Show. So please explain why I'm leaving. Don't just say, oh, Katie had had to go on assignment. Say, Katie had to go to her daughter's assembly or, you know, Christmas pageant or whatever I was doing at school. And, um, you know, again, I always feel slightly uncomfortable as sort of the poster child of the working mom because doing the Today Show when my girls were really little, I had a lot of flexibility after the show was over. Oftentimes I would work, especially when they were in school, you know, later and I'd have to fly and cover OJ and cover Oklahoma City, et cetera, and all kinds of news stories. And I had a wonderful live-in caregiver who was almost, I mean, I don't really even know what the appropriate word for Lori Beth is because she did so much for me and she was such a help. I, we, we call ourselves mommy and mama. We weren't <laughs> lesbians, but we used to laugh about it. And, uh, you know, she was just so incredibly helpful to me. And I never worried about Ellie and Carrie if Lori Beth was there and she was so devoted to them. So I feel very lucky because I had this flexibility. I, I could leave at 830 if I needed to. Mm-hmm. I could leave at noon. I picked my daughters up from school often in the afternoon unless I was out of town covering a story. So it's it i i was very lucky and you know at the time nbc really wanted to keep me because mm-hmm. i was a valuable employee and mm-hmm. i was helping you know with the ratings so i was in a very enviable position and i sympathize with all the working moms out there because it's hard it is really hard to navigate working full time and i used to think gosh if i covered capitol hill or if I was a White House correspondent, I don't know if I could have a family because it's so, so hard. But, you know, I think that I do think employers are being much more, I hope they're being much more understanding. Restrema Sujani is a friend of mine. She's working a lot on the Marshall Plan for moms, trying to get not only, you know, parental leave because men should fathers should yep. spend time with their children too. And they need to bond with their kids. Yeah. I sent some angry texts to Joe's boss about <laughs> his parent. He, we're, I'm, I'm friends with a man, but his parental leave. I'm like, this is a sick joke. Yeah. Like, then it all falls on me no matter what. If he only gets two weeks, that's, that's nothing. And I think it's really important that you know from the onset that you are marrying somebody, whether, you know, whoever it is, who believes in an equal division of labor at home. Because I think Melinda Gates in her her book wrote that women spend seven years more on domestic duties and childcare than their husbands do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more equal in same-sex relationships, which is sort of interesting. Just yeah. throwing that up there. <laughs> and, no, uh, I, I, I'm a big proponent of division of labor the FF fam knows this. I talk about it like <laughs> ruthlessly and I have an amazing husband who cares deeply about it as well. We have a full episode dedicated to it. The card game fair play. Yeah. Down, and, and Cheryl Sandberg, I think called it, uh, calls it chore play instead of foreplay. <laughs> no, literally. She's like, if you want to have sex with your 
with your spouse than do the laundry. I say this all the time. Foreplay starts the second I wake up. Nothing is hotter than emptying a dishwasher, (laughs) cleaning the bottles, (laughs) taking care. Yes. So I agree. And I think that's a conversation to be had before kids enter the mix 110%. That's why I always say a dog is the best first step into parenting. No, it's true. It's true. You know, and and, uh, I think that's such an important conversation. I think people should have conversations about money mm-hmm. and attitudes and philosophies about money and what it means. I mean, I think, I guess it's Catholicism. You have pre-cana. What is it? Pre-cana? Do you guys, know. any Catholics out there? Oh, like I, where my, you meet with a priest Yeah, before? where you meet with a priest. Okay. And my first, my first husband was Catholic. I think that these conversations are really important. And I think every person who's going to get married or be in a committed partnership needs to go and hash out some of these issues that aren't discussed necessarily when you're in the la, 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 la. Yep. The honeymoon phase. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So you brought up Matt Lauer. Okay. We're pitting. Why did I do that? (laughs) Well, honestly, my real question is I'm curious, what was it like for you to witness the teardown rightfully so for what happened, but of someone that you had a very deep personal relationship with. And I think I can only imagine that would be confusing of, I thought I knew this person. I can't believe this happened. And obviously comes a ton of speculation from it. I mean, it was everywhere. What was that like for you to experience? Well, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, like all of us, Matt has many good qualities. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a great colleague for many years. Um, I really enjoyed working with him. I think morning shows depend on chemistry and we had authentic chemistry where, you know, I enjoyed him and respected him and vice versa. I thought he was funny. He thought I was funny. And, you know, it was just sort of that intangible thing that really worked. And, um, Gosh, it was really upsetting. And I think one of the things, and I'm not Jennifer Aniston in the morning show, I was, if I anybody's mean, I was watching ask, that. Did you watch I, I, I would like to look like Jennifer <laughs> Aniston, but um, I am not her. And they, they make a lot of suppositions about all of that. And I don't, you know, listen, I left the Today Show in 2006. Mm-hmm. So this happened in 2017, 11 years after I had left. But, um, You know, there are a couple of misconceptions, I think. As much as Matt and I enjoyed uh, a really kind of fun professional relationship, we we did not share our deepest secrets. We did not socialize. I had a lot of responsibility at home with my two girls. I had a sick husband during part of that time. And I never wanted to let a friendship get in the way of our successful professional relationship, honestly. And so, yeah, it really galls me when I see people like she knew and all this stuff. Matt was, was, I think, very discreet. And culturally, it was very different back then. I kind of just did my thing. That's not how I roll. I don't really do my social life at work, um, even though I know a lot of people do. But at the time I was married with two little, little girls and a single and a, and a widow dealing with a lot of stuff. And 
Yeah, I just think that it's it's really sad. And I think he did a lot of damage to some women I worked with that I found out later. I think he was very reckless. But when I got into TV news, I know it sounds weird, although you look at the headlines lately and you think, well, maybe things haven't changed. But it was a kind of, you know, people really fraternized, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. with a lot of co- colleagues. And it wasn't necessarily, I mean, it wasn't necessarily discouraged. Yeah. Um, it wasn't something, as I said, that I kind of was a part of because I kept my work life and my personal life very separate. And then suddenly the rules changed appropriately. And I think a lot of people who had done stupid, reckless things in the past, it was time to pay it to the piper. Yep. And our I, what our notion of consensual is totally changed because if there's an imbalance of power, as we know, how can you be sure it's consensual and what kind of pressures were brought to bear? And then you see other things going on in media. And I'm sure in, pl- I mean, hello, Wall Street, oh, talk to me. I mean, yeah, I was there 2013 to 2018. And for me, it was more hearing about what I missed, like the stuff that happened before me, because my whole team had come from Bear, Bear Cerns. And the women that I supported who became my work wives and my best friends, the things that they told me used to go down were horrific. And I definitely experienced some of my own. I mean, I think I've said this in an episode or maybe it was in an interview when I was a guest. I was at a steak lunch that, you know, every once in a while I was invited to. Mostly it was only the senior men. But I was invited and my MD's client looked at me and was like, you're the only woman in here. And it was at, I think, Smith & Molinsky's in Midtown. And I was like, yeah, that's unfortunately not surprising. And he's like, I could auction you off. And I was like... I'm sorry, what? And I was like, what did you just say? And he's like, I could auction you off in here. And I looked at this old man with like steak dripping down his chin. (laughs) And I'm like, you can't say that. And one of my traders who spoke his mind through and through was like, dude, absolutely not. You cannot speak like that. And completely stuck up for me. My MD, unfortunately, when we got back to the desk, tried to tell me I misinterpreted the situation. It didn't happen. But commentary like that, unfortunately, wasn't uncommon, but it was a little bit more subdued than what I had heard. I mean, my mom worked on Wall Street in the 80s, so her stories are way better than mine, but it was more subdued. Way worse. Way worse. It was more subdued by the time I had got there, but it absolutely, the undertones exist. None of the females were promoted. It was all senior MDEDs. It was constantly putting us against each other or like trying to start the cat fights. And yeah, I mean, I would like to think it's changed. I can't speak to it. I I don't work there anymore, but I think it's really difficult. And I talk about this with a lot of my friends when men are senior and the women are fighting their hardest to stay in the industry, to get promoted, to get up there but they also want a family. It comes back to this. And then they are punished for wanting to procreate and be involved where their partner, if they're in a heterosexual relationship, is getting promoted for being an involved dad. 
And I, it sucks. I, I don't have the answers. I wish I did. When you think about the number of CEOs and even women in the C-suite, it really is pathetic. Yeah. And I don't have the statistics at the top of my head, but they are pretty abysmal. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I do think change takes a while, cultural change. And I think a lot of the people in leadership positions did not have necessarily have working mothers. And I think as it becomes, you know, two career families become more uh, prevalent, it's, it's going to change attitudes and, um, you know, and, and I do, I see things changing slowly, but definitely surely. I even think as a woman experiencing pregnancy, I think back to the women I supported and I've sent them text messages being like, guys, I cannot believe that you were on the trading floor at 630 in the morning during week eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, whatever of your pregnancy feeling this awful. Like, and I didn't know, I I have so much respect for you. And then the woman who I supported, she literally was having contractions at the desk left at, I think two o'clock. She gave birth while we were still at work that day. Like, now, having experienced it, I think it even causes more respect for these people in the workforce. And I think partners who are watching their wives go through it, they then untap a whole new level of respect for a working woman that they're in the office with. I talk a lot about habit stacking and how it has helped me be the most successful version of myself. But not only does it allow me to check off all the things I want to do in a day, but it honestly assists me in prioritizing my happiness and mental health. The first trimester of this pregnancy has definitely been on the depressive side, and I finally feel like I'm coming out and seeing the light again. One of these things that has been really helpful for me is returning to certain routines and habits that I know prioritize my well-being. Habit stacking is the idea that you can build a major habit by thinking small enough to get started. For me, my habit stacking looks like meditating first thing when I wake up in the morning. Before I get out of bed or do anything, I spend 20 minutes meditating. I've stacked my meditation on a habit that I know I will do every day, or at least I hope to, which is waking up. Similarly, I habit stack taking my seed DS01 daily symbiotic by making it my first action when I come downstairs to the kitchen. After I meditate, I make my way downstairs, fill up a glass of water, take my seed DS01 daily symbiotic, and then I journal. Lately, I've also been adding the habit of journaling outside and going so far as to put my feet in the grass now that it is nice out and it truly is the most wonderful way I could imagine starting my day. This entire routine definitely wasn't happening during the early stages of my pregnancy, but I've noticed a huge shift in my mental health for the positive once I started making it a priority again. I love Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic so much because it has drastically improved my digestive health. It reinforces healthy stool hydration and ease of evacuation and supports gut ease from occasional gastrointestinal discomfort associated with increased intestinal transit time. Start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com slash Cameron and use code Cameron to redeem 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com slash Cameron and use code Cameron. For all my VIP guests from this episode's live show, you're already familiar with Vegamore because you got the Vegamore Grow Hair Serum in your swag bag. But for everyone else who isn't aware of this incredible product, let me tell you about them. I became introduced to the company a few months ago while planning for the FFM community event with Leah Bartha, and I immediately fell in love with their products. Vegamore is a holistic approach to hair wellness that incorporates clinically tested plant-based ingredients that work in tandem to promote healthy, beautiful hair naturally without the use 
use of chemicals. All Vegamore products are 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Not only does Vegamore have products to help the growth of the hair on your head, but also to assist with your eyelashes and eyebrows. I swear my eyebrows have honestly not grown hair in so freaking long, and I am such a fan of the bushy, fuller eyebrow look. So I've been using their Grow Brow Serums, and it has honestly already made a difference. Their serum works to revitalize roots for thicker, fuller-looking brows, and they also have a Grow Lash Serum that I've been using. I'm not the only one who loves Vegamore. They sell one bottle of their Grow Serum every 15 seconds on their website. That's how good this stuff is. Plus, if you're interested in trying more than one of their products, Vegamore has value kits like the Grow Essentials Kit, where you get to try more than one amazing product at a great savings. Give yourself the hair you never thought you could have with Vegamore. For a limited time, Freckled Foodie and Friends listeners get 20% off their first order by going to vegamore.com slash Cameron and use code Cameron at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash Cameron, code Cameron to save 20% off your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash Cameron, code Cameron. Switching topics a little bit. We've discussed the pivots that you've made. How have you in an industry that really shine like shines a limelight on always looking young. And that's what I think is like such a focus in our world still. How have you managed aging in the limelight and in with fame? I think I've always embraced the age I am, you know, like I've never been embarrassed to say I'm 66 years old and I'm good with Woo! that, you know? And I think, you know, if we're lucky, all of us will get to be 66 and beyond. I think part of it was shaped by losing a husband at 42 and losing a sister at 54 and knowing how, how much they, you know, that they lost out on and thinking about how lucky we are every day when you have, when you wake up and you have your health, or you have, even if you have issues with your health, which I have, that you wake up every day and you feel fine. And, you know, whenever I complain about being old, my husband, John, who I call Molnar, as you guys probably know, if you follow me on Instagram, and if you don't, you better. It was um, on the QR code. He, follow he, he's he's uh, six years younger than I am because I'm a cougar. <laughs> and... Uh, he always says, Kurik, you're never, he calls me Kurik. He says, you're never going to be any younger, you know? And so like a lot of us bemoan, oh, I'm so old. I'm turning 40. And it's like, you know, when you're 60, you're going to be like, damn, I wish I was 40. So I think every age brings new possibilities and new opportunities. And it really is a privilege. And so I don't know. I've just been okay with it. And since I've started doing my own thing, you know, listen, if I was on cable news every night and they had like a camera in my face, maybe I'd feel differently. But, you know, I also applaud people like Andrea Mitchell and Leslie Stahl. I mean, Leslie Stahl is 81 years old and she's still doing 60 minutes. So there are a lot of women out there who are role models. Jane Pauley is older than I am and she just did a terrific interview with Michael J. Fox. So I think the more we see women aging on TV and be allowed to age as men are, the less weird it will look because I think 
again, you know, I think for so long, all of us were, were conditioned to see a certain body type, for example, and think only that body type is attractive. And I think we've all expanded sort of our idea, I hope, of what is beauty and grown in our appreciation of what is authentic and also valuing things beyond our physical packaging, like intelligence and kindness, compassion, sensitivity, and all those things. So I, you know, it's, it's a hard nut to crack because, you know, beauty is beauty and we all have our own definitions of it, but hopefully, you know, we've, as I said, expanded on, on that definition and, and come to appreciate people for whole panoply of reasons. That's one of my favorite words, panoply. I've never said it all the time. Life, but I'm going to add it to my vocabulary. Yeah. With your age, I think you are one of the few, not only women, just people who have managed to stay relevant and to continuously reinvent yourself to stay interesting to people, you know, whether it be from being on the Today Show in 91 to now running Katie Couric Media. How have you managed to continuously adapt and pivot as the times have changed? I mean, I think I've always been a person who has paid a lot of attention to trends and what's going on. I mean, I'm a journalist, so I read everything. I notice things. I, I try to be aware and observant. And I saw early on that the media landscape was changing. I saw very early that linear TV uh, of all kinds, but particularly linear television news, was being threatened by the internet, which of course I didn't know what it was in 1994. If you've seen that (laughs) clip and I was like, Allison, what is the, what is internet? I didn't even say the, it was so humiliating, but Hey, in 1994, when you all were two years old, I'm sure you didn't know what the internet was either. But, um, you know, I remember writing my first commencement address at Lehigh and my, why the hell are there so many Lehigh people in here? Anyway, Lafayette, that's our biggest rival. My, my dad, who was just so smart and thoughtful and, and just a real Renaissance man. I remember sitting down and writing it. And I remember him saying this was in probably 91 or 92, Gone are the days when you work for one company and retire after 30 or 40 years with a gold watch and a luncheon. And he said, pay attention to what is happening around you. I should dig up that speech because it was so prescient. And I think that whether it was my dad reminding me of that or just being in media for all these years, I'm very cognizant of trends and things changing. And I knew that with with the rise of the of of online news and information that really happened in earnest with mobile. I remember someone at CBS saying the future is mobile. And I'm thinking that guy is smart. He knows what he's talking about. And I I knew that we have our own little mini televisions Mm -hmm. in the palm of our hands that even appointment viewing, although not with streaming, but well, even streaming, like who watches a show at the t- designated time anymore? You know, I grew Can't up where you had to watch like, <laughs> oh, God, I'm so old. Bewitched is on at 830 on Wednesday. We know so what I've got to watch that. Or, 
you know, oh, I've got to turn on this at this time. Friends on Thursday. And, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. That was the era of must-see TV on NBC. And ER is at 10 o'clock on, oh, Mom, on Thursday ER. nights. I'm going to try to stay up because I love George Clooney. So it's just changed so, so dramatically. And I saw it incrementally changing. I didn't want to be one of those people who was hanging on to my fingernails to something that was just not going to exist the same way it once did. And Vivek Murthy, this is totally a little bit of a sidebar. He's the Surgeon General. He just wrote a big essay about loneliness and this lack of community in our current society. And, you know, um, that this communal experience of all watching something at the same time happens so rarely now. And so I think they were really smart to to push it out just week by week and not in, in one big batch where you I could agree. binge it. Although right now I'm watching Beef. I, I can't even any. be relevant because I'm so deep in the Vampire Diaries, which is like a 10-year-old show. I'm so behind in the times. But I, I, I love it's Ali all I Wong. Think about. I, she's, I, she's my new girl crush. I got to look Wong. it up. I have heard a lot about Beef, so I will look it up. Um, but in staying relevant, I think you have done an incredible job where you're on TikTok. We just filmed one before it's live. You can go like, I don't really understand TikTok, but but you're on it. I'm trying. I'm trying. You have people helping you, but I think you've done a really incredible job from a consumer perspective of hiring out where you might not understand certain things, you know, hiring a younger generation who's in it, who allows you and helps you to stay relevant to the younger generation because those are the people who are consuming things. Well, plus, you know, I mean, the idea of being able to share whatever experience I have, you know, and Julia and Adriana are here tonight and they work with me and to be able to expose them to experiences, to hopefully help them develop into great journalists and producers and help them with figuring out what questions to ask and, just having a front row seat in a, you know, we have about 35 employees at our company and to, to be able to mentor these incredibly, you know, talented young people is something that I really wanted to do Mm -hmm. with our company as well. So yes, I totally uh, believe in reverse mentoring as well. I hope I'm mentoring them, but they're teaching me because as technology changes and evolves and, you know, there's one new platform, then there's this one. AI is going to change a lot of things for all of us at breakneck speed. And so technology, I think, has made it really important for me to have people who are using it on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and can help me be not necessarily an early adapter, but an adapter in general. What are you most excited for in the next five, 10, call it years that you're working on? I mean, I really miss doing deep dives into big, important topics. I think news has become so commoditized. And while I'm really proud of our newsletter, and I love Julia, who's here, does a lot of our social media, and as does Adriana. And Julia came up with the idea that every time there's a shooting, she puts the people who are the victims, and she tells their stories because I think it's so easy to just rely on statistics, you know, and I was talking to Adriana before this, 172 mass shootings, 13,000 people shot and killed, 540 of those are children in this year alone. And to be able to tell the stories of these people 
who were daughters and mothers and sisters and brothers and, you know, who had lives who really mattered is something that I feel now a lot of other platforms are doing that too. But I feel like we did it first to say these were the lives lost Mm -hmm. by these, you know, as a result of these mass shootings and to be able to hop on an Instagram live, you know, I just did one with Frank Cesno who worked with me at, well, actually we didn't overlap, but he was at CNN quite a while ago. He was the white house correspondent, the Washington bureau chief. And we got on an Instagram live and talked all about the firings of Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon and Jet the affirmation Jeff Shell from NBC. And to be able to like do that instantaneously and to have like a 30 minute conversation that goes in depth or to be able to talk about, you know, on my podcast to talk, Mm -hmm. I just interviewed Judy Bloom and the director of the Judy Bloom document directors of the Judy Bloom documentary. And that was so fun. And to be able to interact with my, the community, we built like, what do you want to ask Judy Bloom? I asked her if I could get my period back. (laughs) And and by the way, um, are you there? God, it's me. Margaret is so good. It's so, so good, as is the documentary. So I hope you all watch it. You mentioned gun violence, and it's a topic I post about a lot, especially. It's one I obviously cared about and have been worried and scared of living in this country forever. But now with a child, it feels that much more intense. And it's conversations I've started having with my husband of when he's older and sleeping in houses. It's a question we're going to ask. He's not allowed in a house if there are guns. And how are we asking these questions about schools that we're visiting? It's conversations I'm having with my girlfriends. For people in this room listening who, whether they're mothers, fathers, or not, and want to do something and get more involved, I feel like, yes, sure, I donate, but I still feel like I'm not doing enough. Do you have advice? Well, I think there's a lot of things you can do. I think the level of gun violence in this country is atrocious and completely unacceptable. Mm -hmm. I mean, something has to be done. And it is really difficult because, and then I'll talk about what people can do, but I think guns have been become a proxy for so much more. Uh, They've become a proxy for people who are afraid of the changing demographics in our country. They're afraid of immigrants who I believe are responsible for making this country as great as it is. They're afraid of technology. I think they're just really afraid of change. Mm -hmm. And it's a very vocal and intractable community of people or population of people. So it's very, very tough. I posted something about Mom's Demand today, and I got so much, you know, awful comments on Twitter, which has just become such a cesspool. Terrifying place. And, um, and it's, you know, you can't really reason with some of these folks. You just yep. can't. It's so crazy. And 74% of the NRA members actually favor sensible gun laws. So it's this extreme segment of the population who are adamant that we're, you know, the government is going to take away their guns. 
And Shannon Watts has been kind of my North Star. She started Moms Demand Action as somebody who, after Sandy Hook, said, we've got to do something about this. And I covered Sandy Hook and got to know Mark Barden and his wife, Jackie, very well, who lost their son uh, in that awful mass shooting of just little children. And, and, you know, if that doesn't shake a country to its core or Uvalde Mm -hmm. or what happened in Nashville, I don't know what will. But there are ways to let your voices be heard. You can you can join organizations like Moms Demand. You can join organizations like Every Town. You can share on social media. You know, you can call your member of Congress. I'll never forget interviewing Mark and Gabby Giffords for a documentary I did about gun violence all the way in 2016. And Mark saying, you know, people pay attention. Members of Congress pay attention if you call and you tell them something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you can use social media it, to, to spread the message. And, you know, state by state, progress is being made. Uh, Governor Jay Inslee of Washington just signed a ban on assault weapons. That's the 10th state in the country. And I think Moms Demand in particular is making a lot of progress state They're by state. And when you vote for people, make sure that they you know, their views and values are consistent with yours when it comes to gun violence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and elect people and, you know, change Congress and change the Senate and get involved in your local elections and run for office too, you know? Yeah. And I also think have the hard conversations with people in your life who may have differing opinions. Don't just write them off, like sit them down and explain to you why this matters and try to change their mind. Yeah. I want to open it up for audience Q and a, um, Katie through everything that you've been through, how have you made sure that you don't lose Katie? Well, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Bob Dole who always talked about himself in third person, Bob Dole, Katie thinks, um, you know, I don't know. I think that Authenticity has always been my calling card, I think. And I hate phonies. I hate people who are put on and pretentious. I think I get that maybe from my mom. I think Kiki would probably agree with that. My sister, who goes by Clara, but I call her Kiki. I don't know. I just have really tried to to keep perspective on everything. And you mean in terms of like my loss or my success? I think all of it, because it's so easy to lose yourself in success and it's so easy to lose yourself in loss. And you've just done such a beautiful job in the years that I've watched you have always showing up authentically. And just for me, and as Cameron knows, I've got three kids. I'm an active duty military wife. I've got a business. I've got a podcast. Like It can just seem sometimes like everything can be consuming and you're just such a wonderful role model for not letting it consume you. So, Well, it does consume me. Yeah. Okay, well. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think... You know, a lot of people, of course, there have been endless conversations about having it all, and then not you can have it all, but not at the same time, and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I think, I think my secret to sort of balancing my life is to try to say, gosh, especially when my girls were little, I haven't been home enough, or I, you know, calibrating how much time I was spending at home, and how much time I was spending at work and trying to not feel guilty. I never really felt guilty. I know now I feel guilty saying that. 
But I always felt that I wanted my daughters to see that they could have an impact in the world. And whether that's being a stay-at-home mom and volunteering or working part-time or doing something, I wanted to be a role model that they could kind of do and be whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think now what's really complicating everything is when I was off work, I was off work. And I remember it sounds so so precious now, but I remember interviewing, I don't know why I've talked about Susan Sarandon so much tonight, <laughs> but when she was married to Tim Robbins, this is so funny because this is so harkens back to a different time. They didn't answer their phones, their landlines between five in the afternoon and eight o'clock at night, because they said that was time they wanted to be with their family, you know, have dinner with their kids talk to their kids, do homework with their kids. And I think one of the biggest problems is, and I, I, by the way, I'm not being judgmental because I'm addicted to my phone, but is to really, when you are with your kids, really be with your kids, especially if you have a busy schedule. And I see so many people when they're with their kids, not really with their kids now because of our digital devices. So if you can have enough discipline to really like leave it behind or say, I am not going to, I'm going to play with my kid at the playground. I'm not going to sit on a bench and be on my phone while my son or daughter is on the monkey bars. You know, I think that's a real challenge. And I think kids, they, they see when you're not paying attention, they see when you're not focused on them. So the one thing I would say is make your time with your family really, really count. And I have to remind myself of that still. I a hundred percent. I'm with you really quickly. Shout out your podcast. Oh, Rock Your Wellness with Lauren Shante. Thank you, Cameron. <laughs> you're welcome. I wanted to ask you a question. To listen. Jackson. Yeah, go listen. Okay. So this is kind of niche, but I watched no, no Ordinary Campaign this morning, actually. Oh, um, thank you. So if anyone hasn't watched it, um, it's about this couple who, Katie could probably summarize it better, a couple who um, a husband has ALS and he's really advocated on Capitol Hill for advancement in uh, ALS treatment and FDA and funding, approval, yeah. funding, and all Where, that stuff. How did you watch it? Um, through the website. So ALS is something very close to me. My aunt passed away from it. My best friend's mother passed away from it. And that's how I've watched it. We have fundraisers and I'm running the marathon for ALS. Um, but anyway, um, going to Cameron's point when you, when she was introducing you, I don't know if she, you heard, but she said that, you know, you've kind of, you've left the morning news and everything we've known you for, for so many amazing things. Um, so my question is kind of twofold. How did you choose to produce no ordinary campaign and how do you choose what you do every day because it's so broad um what you've done and what you've able to been able to cover and influence the world so yeah how how do you choose your schedule basically well for no ordinary campaign God, the lights are so bright it, in it's here, really, you guys don't understand i cannot see a thing <laughs> so for no no ordinary campaign i read an article in politico about this couple one sunday you know it's so random what you you scroll and then you're like oh i'm i'm going to read this article and i was transfixed by it and it was written by a guy i knew from the huffington post who had worked at the huffington post named sam stein and I was so moved by the story of this couple 
Brian had grown up in Washington, D.C. I grew up right outside of Washington, D.C. He went to St. Albans, where my brother-in-law went to school. And I thought, this they're an amazing couple. And I read that they were working on a documentary. So I DM'd Sam Stein on the cesspool of Twitter. And I said, hey, Sam, I just read your piece. And he had a personal connection. I think his wife had worked with them on the Obama campaign. I said, that was such an incredible piece. I would love to meet Brian and Sandra, and I would love to help them in any way I can. And so the next thing you know, we're on a Zoom. And I, you know, they were excited that I was interested. And I said, I just want to help. I want to help you all either publicize this documentary or get funding for it or, you know, and so I became an executive producer and they, they have enriched my life so much. Adriana has also become very close with them and they're just magnificent people. And I feel so lucky that they came into my life and that's how I got involved in that documentary. So I think I picked things that I, you know, I remember when I wrote this book called The Best Advice I Ever Got, where I asked all sorts of accomplished people like the best advice they had gotten. Many of them need to be excised, like Charlie Rose and all, all sorts of people. Donald Trump is in it. I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, okay. Anyway, so I remember interviewing Biz Stone, who actually started Twitter. I don't know why I've mentioned that so many times tonight. And Biz Stone said, see a need and fill it. So when I come across a subject that I think needs more exploration or people need to understand better, that that's what attracts me to a topic. So I'm working on, I'm developing a documentary on college athletes and mental health because over a, I think, six week period, there were five college athletes who took their own lives and it's become such a problem. And I don't want to, you know, trying to do mental health for college period is almost too broad a topic. And I want to talk about how sports has become, children's sports, youth sports have become unnecessarily professionalized and people, kids are expected to have this subspecialty. And honestly, we've taken the fun out of sports for so many of these children, hoping they'll get a college scholarship where only 1% of them do. And so I, I, I'm attracted to topics that I feel like need more, they, they need more exposure and that I try to help people understand an issue so they can incorporate that understanding into their daily life, into, you know, maybe how they raise their kids or how they, how they can start a grassroots movement if, there's a rare disease, and believe it or not, rare diseases affect 200,000 people or less in this country, and how they can get people galvanized and work together and, and kind of connect all these disparate communities. So I just love storytelling, and I love learning these things every single day. So that's what really keeps me going. I just am a lifelong learner. That sounds so cheese, but I am. And I'm sort of endlessly curious about so many different topics. So anything that sparks my curiosity that I think, whether it's like an Instagram live, 
that could be a subject on, you know, longevity or something like that, or that I think has the, has the, the legs to be an actual documentary or multi-part documentary. I just love learning and having people learn along with me, if that makes sense. I'm very excited for the college mental health documentary because it's a very important topic. One more question we have time for. You're the only person I can see. So the girl right there. Hi. Also, go who's. You've got a table oh, of UVA, UVA grads Yay, over here. UVA. Um, with all the noise in the news lately, who are the who in news do you respect? Yeah. I mean, listen, there is so much great journalism being done. I have to say, I don't watch a lot of TV news, ironically, because I think like a lot of us, I use my phone for my source of information. So I really appreciate great reporters. I love Susan Glasser, who's at The New Yorker, for example. I love reading Frank Bruni. He, I get a newsletter from Frank. He's so thoughtful and um, interesting. And so it's more like individual reporters, but I like the Washington Post newsletters, like the Daily 202 or the New York Times. And that's how I... I love the Atlantic um, and I look at Twitter to see what's going on. I look at Instagram for people who use it to kind of spread different news, whether it's a news outlet or individuals. Like I was watching someone today and I was like, oh, I really like her feed. She had the testimony of a woman who was testifying on Capitol Hill about uh, the morning after pill being banned in Texas. And she was telling her personal experience on Capitol Hill and I hadn't seen it. First, I was mad that we didn't have that in our newsletter. <laughs> and secondly, I was like, wow. And I think I wrote to Julia and I said, we really need to find this person and interview her and let her tell the story of the repercussions of overturning Roe and these ridiculous rules about banning the, the, you know, abortion pill, which is now how I think over 50% of women now terminate a pregnancy. And, you know, a lot of times if I'm home, I watch Nora O'Donnell because I want to support her as the only woman get doing the evening news. And, uh, I watch the today show sometimes, but honestly, I'm usually out and about and getting everything on my phone. So I look more on their Instagram feed than I actually do in terms of watching the show. I like PBS, but I really get it. I think more as a mosaic of various news sources now, which is, I think how people are, I love the daily when I have time to watch the daily, to listen to the daily. My daughters listen to the daily all the time, you know, so it's just a really a broad array of sources that I turn to. And, you know, when I Google something now, because I was on a commission for disinformation, I really am careful. Or even if I see something on social media, I say, who is this person? What is the source? What is this organization? Oh, and then I'll Google it. And it takes a lot of time now if you are looking at social media to ascertain how legitimate some of these publications are. But it's really, really important to do to go that extra step if it's just some information that you think you're skeptical about. And then you find out, oh, it's completely bogus. But I do like to sometimes watch Fox News because... I like to see how they're framing an issue. And I think it's important in that notion of talking to other people. Time. 
You know, I want, I don't like the snarky, nasty tone that cable has kind of become known for, but I do like to understand what people who may not agree with me are thinking and honestly what they're listening to and what, what things are shaping them. Well, what they're seeing, because most of the time it's a completely different storyline. Yeah. Thank you guys for the wonderful questions. I want to allow you to, I mean, everyone knows your name on social media, but pimp yourself out. Thank you for asking. Um, and and Cameron has contributed to uh, Wake Up Call, and I'd love her to be a part of sort of our community. I think, you know, I think one of the reasons I keep going is it's also, you know, I've worked really hard to be a trusted name. Mm-hmm. And with so much media, it's it's really difficult to have a name that is hopefully associated with legitimate journalism because there's so many competing voices and so many people who sort of claim the mantle of being a journalist, even though they're not nece- don't necessarily have the experience or the training. So wake up call is something if you go to katiekirk.com, we have a lot of really good, you know, helpful articles about everything that really, really runs a gamut from news stories that you really need to understand to really health and wellness, to pop culture, to all kinds of things. You can have me in my your inbox every morning. What's better than that? If you sign up for Wake Up Call, I have a podcast called Next Question. That's where I interviewed Judy Bloom. I did a big podcast on perimenopause and menopause, which by the looks of this audience, you all don't need to worry about, but it's actually something you need to understand as your body changes. And I'm working on a documentary about why women have been so woefully underserved by the medical establishment, you know, and not used in clinical trials since I, uh, uh, before 1993, outrageous, outrageous. Very quickly on this, we have a room of young women as a now cancer survivor and a big screen queen. I am someone who also has dense boobs, so I have gotten the ultrasounds Good. because I found something. It was fine. But do you have something to say yes. to the okay. women I in the room? I never thought I'd be so excited to discuss dense <laughs> dense breasts publicly. But I think since I have a room full of mostly women, I think this is a really important thing to talk about. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. So last June I was diagnosed with breast cancer and people were like, Oh my God, you know, how did you deal with that? I was like, I was so lucky. I was stage one a, I have great medical care, which so many people in this country don't have access to. Um, I had a lumpectomy and radiation and I, my breast cancer is not only treatable, but it's curable and experiencing two people. I love so much my husband and my sister both diagnosed with stage four cancer. It was, it's a completely different ball game. And that's why early detection and prevention and screening is so vitally important. So just very quickly, you need to get colon cancer screening at 45. Um, and by the way, if you're not that age yet, tell your mom, tell your sister, whoever, you know, that they need to get screened at 45 because the number of colorectal cancer cases in people under 50 is climbing at an alarming rate and nobody really knows why. So be aware of the symptoms, you know, and sorry, I'm going to get gross here, but rectal bleeding, a change in your bowel habits, unexplained weight loss, 
just not feeling good, listen to your body and talk to your doctor. And even if your doctor says you're too young, say, I'd like to do, you know, uh, some kind of test, either a colonoscopy or you can do, you know, I did something for exact sciences on Cologuard. You can do a stool test. So, you know, just be aware that this is happening, right? We all have to understand what's happening. And when it comes to breast cancer, so 45% of women age 40 and older have what are considered dense breasts. And what this means, it's very hard to detect abnormalities in your breasts with mammograms alone, because it's, as my radiologist said, it's like looking for a snowball against a field of snow because dense breast tissue shows up white in mammograms as do tumors or you know, things that need to be, you know, examined. So I've been working with a congresswoman from Connecticut, Rosa DeLauro, to get this changed and to make sure that insurance companies pay for additional screening for all of us who have dense breasts. And I'm one of those people. So you, the FDA just passed a change in policy that said, Every clinician needs to tell a patient she has dense breasts and what that means and the fact that she needs additional screening. The problem is insurance doesn't cover it. Mm -hmm. So now we're working with the Preventative Health Task Force. It's like U.S. Preventative Health Task Force to change the guidelines that will require insurance companies to pay for secondary screening for women with dense breasts. And that means ultrasounds or MRIs because many women die of breast cancer who just get mammograms alone. So so when you all start, or if you already are getting mammograms, just be sure you talk to your doctor about additional testing if you have dense breasts. And I know, thank you for that. We talk a lot about poop on my page and um, GI stuff. And you were my inspiration. I've told you this, but I did a whole partnership with New York Presbyterian. Yes, we documented yeah, yeah. my whole colonoscopy. As someone with precancerous polyps, I get a colonoscopy every two years. So it's never too early. I would have never found these precancerous polyps if I didn't get my first colonoscopy five, seven years ago. So if you've got the GI issues, talk to your doctor about getting yeah, one to check and it's, things you know, out. You should start talking to your doctor about breast health when you're in your 20s, yeah. you know, and it's, it, it's never too early to do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of people are lulled into this false sense of security. I know I was a little bit, although I did my breast cancer screening regularly and, of course, my colon cancer screening regularly, but people think if they don't have a family history, somehow they're safe but 85% of breast cancers have no family history and, and 80% of colon cancer cases have no family history. So you may be the beginning right. of your family history. So don't think, oh, I don't have to worry about that. It's something you just have to be aware mm -hmm. of and you have to talk to your doctor about. Absolutely. Well, thank you. So is that much. it? I'm That's having it. so much fun. I literally, this is so far past my bedtime right now. Meanwhile, and I could stay up here for another hour if I was allowed to. Meanwhile, my brother-in-law is like, get me out of here. <laughs> thank you for coming, Jim. Um, thank you, Katie, so much for doing thank this. Thank you. And thank you all so much for and coming. Thank and you guys. Can I just say thank you for everything you're doing, Cameron, to demystify so much because I think that this lack of 
loss of community that we've all seen happen over the years, the fact that you're providing a safe space, so to speak, and a place for people to share their experiences and talk about things. I know in my book, I talk about how blogs and kind of the internet gets trashed. And I think with a lot of good reasons, but Mm -hmm. it's also allowed people to build communities and to talk about things like postpartum depression Mm -hmm. and, you know, feeling guilty, which as you know, I never did. (laughs) And, um, you know, trying to, to do it all and trying to be it all and trying to deal with, you know, the jerky boss that gives Mm -hmm. you a hard time for leaving and so I think providing a, a, a platform for that and letting people kind of share their own experiences, everyone here, I mean, I think you're doing an incredible public thank service. You. So thank you. Thank you so much. You guys, thank you. You're amazing. I'm literally going to cry. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I have so much fun recording the show. It is my favorite part of my job and truly is what lights me up. Your feedback and response to every episode is what keeps me going. And if this episode resonated with you, please feel free to DM me over on Instagram or share on your stories. If you are looking for a way to support the show, please rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It means the world to me and it really helps the show grow. Please also make sure to hit subscribe so that you are up to date with new episodes coming at you every Wednesday morning. And of course, please be sure to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at at Cameron Oaks Rogers. I love you and I appreciate your support so much. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.